It's a really hard accent. I find it really hard. Yeah, I've got a lot of family in Wales. My dad's Welsh, and like I just can't do a Welsh accent. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Southern Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 244 of Sapnin Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards, and nothing on earth can save us when I fell in love with your anus. Whoa, hang on. No, that, that, that doesn't work because... That, you've got to stop it. What? It makes no sense at all. Ah, uh, no, uh, what I'm trying to say is it's not always easy, but McFly's here forever. Right. I hope that none of McFly listened to this episode. <laughs> that is the worst start to an episode that we have had for four years. It might you, be even five hey, years. Right. I've, we, I've had to come up with four different rounds of McFly-based puns recently, right? Well, so hey, we- hey, hey, well... Mm. You didn't have to. <laughs> Literally n- nobody asked you to. <laughs> so you didn't have to, did you? You could have just gone, yep, yeah, I'm out of fucking McFly puns. Um, it was Tom Fletcher. But yes, this week's guest is Tom Fletcher, the final Infinity Stone in our McFly glove of love. Ooh, the love glove. Ooh. As many of you know, singer, songwriter, author, and formerly the UK's number one Sean Smith impersonator when he had his blonde day. What an absolute brilliant chat this was. It was a lot of fun, and we are glad to finally complete the McFly... Uh, McFly... It's not a trilogy. Uh, McFly... Tri- the McFly Square. Square, hey! Know. We did it! We did it! We've got <laughs> them all! We've caught all the McPokemon. We've completed Thass on Stones, and we're putting Tom... Into the missing page of the McSapnin sticker book. McSapnin. Oh my <laughs> God, alive. How have I not thought of that till now? That makes my fucking skin crawl. Oh, uh, Galaxy Defenders, I hope you're happy as I am right now. Look, if you've listened to any of the rest of this mini series with Danny, Harry, and Dougie, you know my love for this band, how they were my gateway into alternative music. But Tom in particular was my influence into wanting to pick up a guitar and explore that even further. So there's so many full circle moments throughout this. But 
Tom is such a creative visionary, whether it's be writing for McFly, other artists, or the millions of children's books he's released. So for this one, we wanted to not only dive into a lot of nerdy elements of the band, but secrets into his process, certain chapters of his life, and mad experiences. All four of these guys are so different from each other, and it's just been a treat getting to showcase that and some personal insights. Very much so. Top lads. They've always been, since day one, when I first met them, at Top of the Pops, I'm showing my age, um, probably in 2007. They have been absolutely lovely to me. And if you get a chance, go and check out Matt Willis's latest podcast featuring Dougie from McFly about getting help and getting better after addiction and stuff because it was very, very interesting and we like those chaps very, very much. Yes, we do. And just a reminder that McFly's new album, Power to Play, is out now. Uh, if you've listened to the singles, absolute bangers, but I do encourage you to check out the rest of this album. There are songs like Shine On, Route 55, and Forever's Not Enough that really show a side of the band and what they're all about. But throughout this conversation, we're going to be getting Tom's take on his version of the McFly evolution, writing for artists like One Direction, how McBusted affected them overall, that wedding speech, Steven Spielberg, and you're even going to hear some surprise appearances from one or two familiar voices. Yes, this was one of my favorite chats I have done of four with McFly. Uh, <laughs> I gotta say that because I don't want I don't want anybody to fall out. I don't want anybody to be like, "Oh, my one was shit." Was the show? No, none of them was shit. They've all been fucking great. Go and check out every other McFly episode. Even back to episode four, when we had our, f- was it four or five? five? Five, Episode five. Episode five, when we had our first uh, McFly inkling, where um, Dougie obviously gave away more information than he should have. <laughs> so yes, go and check out all the other episodes. They've been fucking fantastic. They're the loveliest, nicest boys, and they deserve everything that they have and uh, will carry on getting. Yes. Just a reminder to go and check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sapnin if you want to help this podcast continue each every week. Go on, man. And get involved with a community of people who are just the best humans on the planet at SaplinPod on Twitter and Instagram if you have any uh, messages or thoughts about this. But without any further ado, let's get straight into it. This is the legend that is Tom Fletcher on episode 244 of Sapnin Podcast. Lovely. Sapnin! Sapnin! I just realized I said lovely, very sensually then. Lovely. Mmm. Anyway. Ah! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sapling! 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 Nice! <laughs> nice! Almost Welsh! Almost that? Welsh! Yeah, good! Take it! I don't know if that was Welsh, it's just, it, it just doesn't sound as good. Sapping guys! That's <laughs> 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 so bad. Oh. You guys can pull that off, I can't. Well, the funny thing is, we're not actually Welsh. We're actually from LA, but somebody told us if we pretended, if we acted Welsh, we might do better with the podcast, um, which hasn't paid well, off. No. So, no. Uh, <laughs> I've had to learn the language as well. I'm fluent in the language for no reason now. It's all just... Absolutely no reason. Happened. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, anyway, this week's guest is singer, songwriter, author, legend, and... The first person, when my band started doing well, when I had blonde hair, somebody come on to me and said, excuse me, are you? And I said, yeah, I think I am. And she went, Tom from McFly. And I went, oh, no, I'm not. (laughs) Shit. Um, So, yeah, this is guest is the actual, the real (laughs) Tom from McFly. How are you? The real one. The real one. That's brilliant. I love love that someone thought you were me. Yeah, I I remember it to this day. I was in a H&M in Nottingham. My band, The Blackout, had just started doing well. I think we might have just had a first Kerrang cover or something like that. So I was feeling myself. (laughs) I had had the blonde hair. We both had um, fluorescent blonde hair at the time. And, um, yeah, somebody came on to me and said, uh, excuse me, are you, and <laughs> I'll never do it again. Oh, yeah, I think I am. And then she said, Tom from McFly. And then she said, Tom from McFly. And I went, oh, no, uh, no, no. I'm just, no, I'm just a, just a man buying socks. Yeah, I, I get it. Me and, um, Tom Felton, who played Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies, we get, we get mistaken for each other all the time, but we're also both called Tom. So people come up to me and they go, are you, Tom and I'm like, yes, but if they have like a Harry Potter bag or a Harry Potter t-shirt on, I'm like, I don't think I'm the Tom you're looking for. <laughs> I think you mean the other one. I've just stopped correcting. I think we both just stopped correcting people now. We just say, yeah, I, I'm, that's me. I'm, I'm him. It doesn't help. You've got the first letter of the second of the last name as well. That's always, yeah, uh, TF, that's always yeah. yeah. I'm TF1, uh, he's TF2. That's the way we're running. You, need to, you guys need to do a merch range with those two together. You need to join forces somehow. I mean, yeah. it needs to be some. I'm, I'm not the Tom you're looking for. I think that's 
Or a photo of your face with like not Tom Felton across the top or whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, there we are. We're starting, we're starting with big ideas. But no, Tom, really appreciate you doing this. You are the final piece in our McFly puzzle, the final stone. I feel like the guy, what's his name from Avengers at the moment? Thanos. Um, Thanos from Infinity Avengers. Gauntlet. We finally completed the set. So thank you for taking the time. Um, how are you doing at the moment? How's things? I know it's busy behind the scenes, a lot of practice and all that, but how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. We're just, um, we're at that frustrating stage where we're trying to learn our own songs because we've, um, we've recorded the album, but some of the songs we recorded nearly two years ago. So we haven't played them for nearly two years. So you get, you know, and you feel like you are familiar with them, but suddenly, you know, the reality of standing on stage and having to play them in a few weeks sets in and you realize, well, we really suck at this and we have to do some hard work. But no, it's, it's other than that, you know, that it's, it's going great. We've actually kind of, We've got through that hard stage now, and we're we're start. They're starting to sound okay, so which is which is nice <laughs> or, or par- passable. I think we can blag our way through them at the moment. That's where we're at. Good, good. Well, is this is this your first time actually playing the songs? Well, we recorded a lot of the album um, as kind of it, it would start as like a, it's the first time we've done this. Actually, we, we started very as kind of jamming and just playing riffs and 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 we've not really recorded like that or written like that before we've we've always been the kind of band where one of us will come in with almost a complete song or an idea and it will go from there whereas quite a few of the songs on this album came from us just being in there and messing around with riffs and ideas and because of that then we we were learning how to play them as we were recording them and could then play them it wasn't like oh i've got this song on acoustic you go put that drum part down you know next week i'll do the guitar part it kind of came from us play being able to play them to some extent as we're writing them so yeah we we are kind of familiar with them but it's um yeah it's you know there's it's a different level of knowing the song when you have to then go and play it especially like the first gig we're doing is like the album launch it's the one where no one actually knows the songs yet and you're doing it for a lot of press and media and you just want it to sound really really good so but then also yeah to play devil's advocate on that also if people don't know the songs Ah. if you if you you do fuck them up if you do ha ha we meant that yeah, <laughs> that was a strange chord in the middle for no reason. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, look, we are fully aware of that, and I'm planning on playing that card multiple times during that press launch show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I look, and just you know, I, I'm the least accurate uh, or technically good <laughs> guitarist you will ever meet. Like I'm, I suck, and I've been blagging my way in this band for 20 years. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm. I'm so used to messing up in shows. I've been trying to say this to my kids lately because they're learning to play guitar and they're all about like well, messing up. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no one, I, I feel like I, I've been tricking the McFly fan base for 20 years. Cause I, if you listen to the solo uh, recordings of my guitar, I mean, it just must sound horrendous. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even want to listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jason Perry, Jason Perry's going to have all those on, on tape so you can send it to us. I mean, we can maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jason, <laughs> Jason could easily end my career uh, as a guitarist. <laughs> but you say blagging, you've written so many like big hits for McFly and other artists and stuff. Come on. You got to give yourself some credit these days. Well, no, I don't know. Cause I think there's, you know, there's always this thing of like, I think everyone's just blagging, aren't we? Like in every, every I, I like, yeah, we've been yeah, really 100%. lucky and got to work with, you know, loads of our idols and write with some of our idols and always go into those sessions feeling like this is going to be amazing. Cause I'm going to see 
like the secret of how they do it. And I mean, like every single time I go in and I'm like, that's how you, you work like this, like, you know, less than I do. Like is it how, <laughs> and I've based my whole career, like aspiring to be like this person and just think you don't have a clue. You're blagging it as well, which is, an, but it's an amazing thing. Cause you just feel like, well, no one really knows, you know, what we're doing. We're just making it up. And that's the kind of, yeah, the beauty of this this industry, I guess. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. exactly how this podcast started. It was uh, <laughs> my old band failed, and then I was like, right, I can't tattoo and I can't cut it, so I can't be a tattooist or a barber <laughs> like most frontmen from heavy bands. What can I do? Oh, you've got a massive mouth, Sean. Start a podcast. There so yeah, and, and we have literally blagged it. Like we've done over two hundred thirty-four weeks in a row now of putting wow. an episode out. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that's we hadn't amazing. decided to do it every week. <laughs> oh, well, you're telling me. That's exactly, that's a great example of it. Like, cause you know, I, I, every aspect of my career is like that. Like, I don't know how to write songs I've been, for 20 years and it's every time it's different. There's no formula. And it's, and like you, like when we had a hiatus as a band, I started focusing on writing, um, writing novels, like children's novels. I didn't have a clue how to do that. I just enjoy telling. I love telling stories. I've always loved that. And I love, writing stories in the form of songs but i didn't really i didn't you know have any training into how to write a novel i mean i was literally had it's embarrassing i had to ask people like what software do you use to write a book <laughs> like i don't know i didn't know and yeah, then, like, yeah. sending the first draft into the editor and be like what font do you use this is so embarrassing like how but you just make it up but you know that i guess the nice thing about that is you realize well what's important isn't the kind of the tech being technically accurate you can learn all of that stuff it's the, you know, the stuff that you can't learn and the, the enthusiasm and the passion for something. And then, um, yeah, the enjoyment you get from writing songs or telling stories or playing in a band. Yeah. That's one of the things I learned. Um, I learned from Jason Perry was that, um, it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect all the time. Sometimes it's about the feel and the vibe of it. Yeah. Totally. That's, we, we learned that same, exactly the same. Cause our, we had, um, you know, such a different experience with producers. We had Hugh Padgham, who's like this legendary producer, who did our first album, um, first two albums. But he's like very old school. And also we were really young. And so there was this like, I, I guess like this teacher, a real authority, and we really respected him. But, you know, we like, I wasn't allowed to eat chocolate on a vocal day. And there was like Ooh. all of those kind of things. And so then going into like, Oh, cheers. This, sorry, my um, my assistant's here. Is just um, <laughs> ah. hello. Oh. A wild doggy appears. Oh, cheers, mate. Thanks, thanks, mate. <laughs> uh, hi. <laughs> right, you can go now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the help is gone. Um, yeah, he's gone. So we, uh, but going from that, where you know, feeling like oh, it's a vocal day. There's all this pressure. I've got to watch what I eat. Can't have dairy. Can't do this. To being with Jason Perry and Sweet. which is the part, you know, you go in like, what we do, we're going to go in and record Boba Zett. Mate, let's go to the cinema and watch Transformers. Thank you. Great feedback from my podcast. It was apparently the best one so far. Well, that's not what they told so me. Mate. That's not what they told me. <laughs> uh Oh, Oh, I'm loving, I'm, loving, yeah. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. But speaking of that kind of that creativity and being able to look at things a bit differently now, I mean, you mentioned your, your kids and they're at the stage where they're a bit more aware of, of what's going on. As you said, Buzz has really been playing uh, guitar a, a lot. I saw you posted a video of him playing along to Everybody Knows. It must be kind of cool 
to be at that part of your life now as well, where you can have that kind of music connection with them and you're in a new cycle and, and they oh, can go amazing. out and see you uh, in, in a fresh perspective. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Actually, last year was the first experience of that because McFly has always been like this, you know, presence in their life they've been aware of. But also we were on like this weird hiatus that we weren't talking to each other as a band for a big chunk of the, you know, their younger years. So they were aware of it, but they'd never really got to come and see us play live. And then, you know, because of lockdown and all that kind of stuff, we weren't touring. So last year was the first time where they got to come and see, oh, right, that's that's what you do. That's what this thing called McFly is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was an amazing experience. And yeah, and they've really, especially Buzz, he's a bit older, but he's also the one who engages the most in music. I had this cool thing the other day where um, he came over, Doug came over just to hang out and watch the coronation with us. And uh, he, um, we, we all went and jammed with Buzz. So I was playing drums, Doug was on bass, and Buzz was on guitar. And so I was just watching Buzz was like shouting out the chords to Doug so Dougie could then play along. I can't remember <laughs> what we're playing now. Oh, it's so cool. I've got to this point where we're jamming and my son is shouting out the next chord to us and playing a lot. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, so really, that's, that's been really special. Yeah, you made that. You made that little <laughs> thing that was telling Dougie what to do. Oh, what the hell? I know, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? I was lucky enough to be at that massive outdoors show on your birthday last year. I think near oh, Bournemouth where the way. kids went, where they, where they played. Yeah, yeah. And we, we're very friendly with James Hill, part of your crew sometimes. Shout yeah, out to James yeah. Hill. So to see him kind of having to manage them <laughs> on stage for a minute. <laughs> and, but the crowd was so wholesome around there. That must have been a, a cool moment for you as well. Oh, it's amazing. What I loved was that it was like completely unplanned. Literally like 15 minutes before we went on. They were like, so we're going to go on first. So they, they, they got this little band that they, you know, they, they, you know, they, as brothers, my three boys, and they were like, we're going to go on before you go on. And I was like, um, you know, there's like 10,000 people out there, guys. And it hasn't been planned. And there's not like set up for that. And it's one thing like going on and playing at soundcheck, but they're like, no, we're going on and we're going to play. We'll rock you. And I was like, okay. Like that. So I just thought, let them go on and do like the line check and they can talk into the mic and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, to be honest, they would get up on stage, see the crowd, and then just be like, no way. But they just walked out. And then it was, what was funny was like Buzz, my oldest, he went to the mic and he, he was like tapping the mic so he could tell that it wasn't on out front, that the crowd couldn't hear him. So he, was, he just stood there and waited for, the, for it to be put on out the front. <laughs> like he was expecting, he was like, they're not ready for me yet. Um, yeah, and then they like just did, did this little jam of We're a Rock You and, um, yeah, and the crowd were amazing, which was very sweet. Yeah, it was great. They still talk about it to this day. Yeah. Have you thought about taking some sort of um, booking agent fee off them for, uh, for playing our show? Well, I should do, but the, the trouble is with my kids, they also give me most of my best ideas from my kids' books. And I feel like if I start oh. taking a cut of their gigs, they're <laughs> yeah. going to bring up this whole, you know, they're going to start being like, oh, hang on a minute, I named that character in your book. And it's, you know, it's going to get messy. I don't want to open that can of worms. Yeah, it's a tricky cycle. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that. We'll leave that there. But Tom, there is literally so much I want to talk to you, especially because we, as I've mentioned, we've had the other guys on and done episodes with them. But there's some other really nerdy McFly things I want to talk to you about throughout this episode. So I apologize <laughs> in advance um, for all this. But the boys have talked about really their own takes of the evolution of the band, especially with the sound and battling that whole being a rock band but under the kind of mainstream public eye publicity one thing i always i find really interesting is their takes on 
the different sounds throughout the years. So, for example, with me, McFly was the first band I fell in love with. And then as I've grown up and my taste has grown up, you have always been there kind of channeling that. So my favorite albums are Radioactive and Wonderlands, just because of the whole real difference and nuances between it. When you look back at everything, do you see these songs as more of like a timestamp of where and where you were at that time and your influences and growing up? Or do you see it as certain aspects of a, of a career and having to face different things and being met with kind of deadlines and stuff? I just wanted to get your take on Tom's evolution of McFly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, I guess there's a, a few different sides to it to take into account. So one of them is one like really important thing I think is that even though the music, when you listen, if you went and listened to say Wonderland and Radioactive and Motion in the Ocean, they sound vastly different as records. But when we play them live, they all just kind of felt like McFly. And I feel like it's, and don't get me wrong. I love all of those albums, the way they sound. And, but I never felt like, oh, I, they were a true reflection of the way that we sound as a band. And suddenly when someone will come and see us play live and we would play, you know, songs that on the records are polar opposites, like Transylvania and then It's All About You and I don't know, something from something else that's I don't, the, the ones that are just so far apart. But when we played them live, they kind of felt like, oh, this is one band that knows what the, you know, what their sound are and what their band is about. And there is definitely an element of it as well. Of It was, you know, we were, I'm the oldest in the band, so I was 18. Doug was 15 and Doug was always, you know, really kind of key creative voice in the direction of the band. So we were going through our own evolution as people in the terms of like our music tastes were still developing and we were, we're all also quite obsessive. So we would get completely obsessed with a band or a movie or an artist or something. And it would just dominate our field of vision in terms of what we would want to do as artists. Um, and we were very quick to jump from one thing to another. Uh, and I feel like that's really reflected in like our albums. Added onto that, we had overnight success with our first album and felt like this pressure of being, yeah, we wanted to feel kind of creatively satisfied in the music that we we're writing, but also feel like we do still have to kind of tick the box in writing a pop song and wanting to do that still, but feeling like, but it still has to sound like it's us. And like, I remember actually when we, when we, um, when we wrote Wonderland, um, we were asked to do the comic relief song that year. And so Richard Curtis, I think he, we went to his studio and he listened to all of the albums to try and figure out, okay, what of the McFly album, you know, could be the next comic relief song. And so he was basing that on, you know, the previous album was five colors in a hair room on the third floor, obviously, you know, these kind of summary, happy feeling, um, pop rock songs. But Wonderland, like we were influenced by like loads of really dark stuff. And it was like, I don't know, was, and just heavier stuff as well. And wanted to kind of go down that route. So when he listened to the album, there wasn't any songs that could ever have been like uh, the comic relief song. But we had this one like little wild card that wasn't going to go on the album, which was all about you. And when I played it to him just in his office on acoustic and he's like, oh, that's the, the one that we, you know, could, could be great for comic relief. And so it then became the first song. And this, you know, obviously because of comic relief and, and everything became this big hit song for us that then allowed us to continue having the success from the first album on our second album, even though really all about you doesn't sound anything like any of the other songs on that album. So I felt like, yeah, there was an element of it was feeling like, oh, we have to 
continue being the band that people expect us to be whilst trying to evolve and keep ourselves satis- you know, satisfied as a band. Yeah, so it's a really, um, it's kind of a difficult time to navigate. Adding to that, we're still teenagers with all these, you know, angsty, you know, emotions and feeling like we want to be justified as a band and musicians. But then on the flip side of it, but we've just sold an arena tour, you know, it's, so it's, it's a weird time to be like, to be living that, you know, to be 18 or, you know, 17 or whatever they, they were at the time to be trying to deal with all of that stuff's quite, mm. you know, quite, quite tricky. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's what resonated with a lot of people my age getting into the band is because there are so many different sounds where you have a track like one for the radio, which is very upbeat and kind of pop punk influence, but then, you know, you've got Too Close for Comfort, which is just a beautiful slow down song. And you've always been able to change it up as people are growing up alongside with you. So as a songwriter, is it kind of cool that when you look back at the back catalogue and just be like, well, we do have a lot of different stuff. And then you can do a live show. Where it's not just, oh, we're all rock songs or all slow songs. You can do a, a mixture yeah, I of totally, everything. I, I love that. And also, Mike, you know, I... In the early days, I was the kind of main songwriter for the, for the band, which is, you know, obviously it's changed as we've got older and, and my, I've always been the most kind of the one who leans the most to the pop side of mm. our band. I love pop music. And also I grew up at theater school, so I love musical theater as well. And I, I love that we're quite, a, there's a theatrical side to our band as well. That's a bit, you know, bonkers and crazy. And so I've always been the one that's keep trying to pull us or keep us with one foot in the pop world and i feel like it's kind of the beauty of our band and why it works i guess that my bandmates are very like i hadn't heard of half the bands they listened to when we got into the band you know suddenly they were introducing me to, i don't know to like the used and i can't remember some of the other bands that i you know we, we all kind of collectively that i loved but i was like oh my i've never heard of this band before and they were trying to get me to add those kind of flavors into the music as well and danny with you know springsteen especially and um and the who and bands like that so it was an it was this kind of perfect combination of me trying to not trying to keep them happy, but just feel like, oh well our band is gonna form a sound based on me absorbing their influences as well. But yeah, I, I've always loved that we are this kind of pop band that, you know, has essentially the same demographic target audience as a boy band. Like we were playing the same shows as Blue and Girls Aloud. You know, but yeah, but we loved bands like rock bands and we functioned like a rock band. I loved that that was where we sat. It was this weird kind of, this weird little area to sit in. You know, there was definitely frustrations with that as well because we were also, you know, teenage guys and, you know, we're I think around the same age and probably a bit older than you guys, but we were, you know, we aspired to be like the bands that I'm sure you guys liked as well. And this sort of definitely like we felt a lot of frustrations around kind of being instantly dismissed just because we played pop music. And the hard thing, is, actually, this is a kind of hard thing, I guess, is that we didn't want to fight it by not playing pop music because that's what we loved. And we understood that, like, that was the band that we are. But we just wanted people to understand, but it still requires the same amount of integrity as an artist, the same amount of work to create this music as you would if we were making rock music. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, kind of an interesting, tricky time. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, as you mentioned there, like you said, you you lean towards the pop side. H- 
How was Slam Dunk for you? How was playing Slam Dunk for you? For the I loved time? it so much. Do you know what? Well, I, it was so much fun. But the best thing about it was like the, the debates behind the scenes on what to play. Because <laughs> this is where like, I was just like, we have to go out and play the poppiest songs that we've got. Let, we're going to play Shine a Light, All About You, obviously, Stargirl. Because I just knew they would go down. They would just, everyone would sing along and the juxtaposition of like that, at that in that environment was what would make it special. But, you know, we had to go through the process of like, no, we need to play all the one, the heavy songs on Radioactive <laughs> and Corrupted. And I was like, no, because that's not why we're there. Like I, I love more than anything being at someone's guilty pleasure. I love that. It's, it's a, like, I love it. And just being like, yeah, we're there on that bill to be the guilty pleasure. And like this, it will sound so refreshing to just suddenly go out and play obviously or what you know five colors in a hair and it was yeah it was amazing it was so fun seeing you know seeing the reaction i mean don't get me wrong like we're all shitting ourselves as well <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you you yeah you say there about being guilty pleasure but i don't think like i i don't think that was the case of slam dunk i think it's genuinely people who have got into punk rock metal hardcore whatever via mcfly as well like yeah, you yeah. are, you, you know, you were a stepping stone for so many people get like Morgan, for example, his literally first ever gig was McFly. And now he's doing this. He owes you everything he earns from this podcast. <laughs> Do you know, it's so, I was actually, I was having this, and that is amazing. And I think it's really interesting at the moment because I, I have this with my kids because I, I feel like there's still a, such a place. At Busted were exactly the same, like Busted and us. We totally get that. Like we were this gateway band to, kids who weren't quite old enough you know to listen to you know green day or whoever or, but would eventually discover them through us and that's an amazing like that's incredible i love that we were able to to be that band for some people and i see it now because my own kids you know, like we're in the car and they want to listen to blink 182 and like, like my kids are seven and four and nine. Like, of course, they love it when there's loads of swear words. But a bit of me is like, okay, there's a limit to like, <laughs> you know yeah. what? I should be playing you guys at the moment. But I can stick on, if, you know, it's a bit embarrassing because I'm in the band, but I can stick on a McFly song or a Busted song and be like, great, go ahead, listen to this and rock out and play air guitar to this and let this be the thing. And in two years time, you can listen to Green Day and whatever and mm. like, but there aren't, like, I just feel like there still aren't that many bands that sit in that gap. Um, and those albums that we made, like the Busted albums and our albums, they were, um, like, they still, f- like, fulfill that role now, I, th- I think. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. But, I, yeah, I think, I think that crowd of Slam Dunk was, yeah, just a testament to how many people love you guys. Like, I don't think, the, like, like you mentioned Guilty Pleasure. I, don't th- I didn't see it like that at all. Mm. I think everybody was there excited the people who knew you were playing were fucking over the moon and then yeah and, and then and then when you went on it was genuinely probably my band of the weekend it was absolutely oh, fantastic it was wicked fun i know danny was ill coming on stage but he came on stage oh my he, god yeah oh dude he i've never seen him so ill he literally it was like we just dug him up out of a grave and just put, <laughs> i mean he was so ill and just put him into the position in front of the microphone or like just sing like he was i've never seen him that ill like his face he looked dead it looked like we had a dead guy <laughs> singing for us <laughs> works of the metal aesthetic works of the metal aesthetic yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah look at the corpse look at look at danny's one corpse paint no 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 he just looks <laughs> very <laughs> ill he looks very <laughs> ill 
you must be seeing a lot of people now reaching the age where they were influenced by you and they have like big jobs in the industry or things like that. Oh, yeah. Because you know? if, we're, if we're being honest, like you were literally my gateway into playing guitar music and they wanted to really? pick up a guitar and learn and stuff like that. And I know people who have written dissertations about you. I know people who are working on your label now, which is, which is, is, is a big deal for them. So I'm sure like... Oh, yeah. They're like there's people in our team who have like McFly tattoos. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's mad. Like that is so... Cr- it's amazing. But it's, it's, I mean, it's been a slow sh- evolution into that, but we're still very much in the mindset, like we were always intimidated by interviewers and intimidated at gigs and intimidated, like we, we're quite a, like, <laughs> you know, there's just, it was a weird shift get, where we realized I, a, a good example, I guess, is like, we used to get booked on to do like, um, freshers balls at universities and stuff. And we were terrified because we'd go on and just get booed and shit thrown at us and, because we were like, you know, we weren't a cool band to be played. If you're at uni in 2004, you don't want to see McFly play. Like they're all into, if you're into bands, we were the last band they wanted on the bill. And we felt it as a band. Like we, it was, it was horrible. Like it's a hor- horrible, like environment to be in. But, you know, gradually after like, you know, three or four years going back and playing those shows and being like, oh, hang on a minute. We're now, they are enjoying this now. <laughs> like, the, and not and like the guys are enjoying the music now and appreciating it. And yeah, there was, there was a definite shift. And also I feel like just longevity gives you an element of respect from people, whether they really are into your music, you know, you don't need to have like, you know, we get recognized in the street. And of course, sometimes it might be a, someone who does listen to your music and knows everything about the band, but other times it's just cause they know of your band and they just want to have an, and just want to have a moment with you and have an interesting chat, ask you a question about, life in a band and music and there's an element of kind of i guess yeah like respect or interest that comes from just being in the public domain for 20 years yeah yeah for sure well it's nice to see that a lot of those moments are becoming full circle now when you're getting that recognition that you deserve for for these influences but speaking of songwriting we really wanted to pick your brain tom about some of the the sessions and opportunities you've had to work with other artists i mean it, we know like you know you've done stuff with one direction and the vamps five seconds of summer and, and those kind of people is there anyone we wouldn't expect you would have worked with or, or wouldn't know and and how is that whole process different than working on songs for yourself um i don't know if there's stuff like a lot of the stuff i do outside of the band is like i work on a lot of musical theater stuff at the moment i'm working on some musicals that's really different very very different to the band nice um yeah i guess there's probably not people that you don't know about i think one of my favorite sessions ever was um rivers from weezer actually it's quite appropriate i'm wearing a weezer t-shirt today but i loved weezer i still love weezer and um that was a fascinating session getting to go and write with one of my absolute idols yeah how did that come about do you know i have no idea it was just like (laughs) walking down the street oh rivers I, li- I literally couldn't tell you. I think someone just asked, is there anyone like someone from our publisher was just like, are there anyone they want to write with? And I, and I was just like, yeah, we're like rivers. There's not many people that I could, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to go into a room and write with anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm quite an isolated songwriter, to be honest though. I don't, we don't do many collaborations and, but um, yeah. And it just happened. It was just really fascinating to kind of be like one of those moments where you're like, Oh, I'm in a room. I absolutely am dying to see how he works. 
and just realizing, oh, you are literally just like us. Like you are just, we're just winging it together. And there's no process, secret process that you have that's any different from mine. You know, we're both on rhyme zone trying to find, you know, good <laughs> rhymes. <laughs> like for yourself. Fucking it's rhyme zone. I forgot, yeah, I forgot about rhyme zone. That's that shows how long I am, I am been writing lyrics for. Jesus Christ, I forgot about rhyme zone. <laughs> I feel like me and Dougie said rhyme zone should be like credited as a writer on every single one of our songs. <laughs> oh, everybody's songs. Everybody's song. Yeah. Yeah, it should have a tagline. Helping all your favorite lyricists since whenever this website was invented. <laughs> so true. Jesus Christ, um, rhyme zone. But yeah, I guess um, the process is really different. Writing, but I guess, yeah, going back to your question, though, the process is very different writing for someone else's band than it is writing for your own band and a lot easier. It can be a lot more enjoyable, I find, because you're not, you don't have to take into, you're not the one that's going to go out and perform it and, you know, have to, you know, sell this song and, and own this song. And also you have the perspective of what you feel that band should do that you never have as being in the band. You know, it's the hardest thing as a band member trying to figure out what people want from your band. You know, what do I want from the band? And then what do the fans want from the band? And what is going to enable the band to have a successful song? Like, or that, and that's they're just three of like the three elements of it. There's so many layers to the, to writing for your own band. But you know, when you get someone like One Direction, you're just like, yes, I love, like, I love what makes you beautiful. That's amazing. I could write, a, I know what you should do. You should do a song like this. And you know it straight away. Cause you think I, you've got this kind of voice. I hear you singing this bit and you should sing this bit. And you have this weird perspective and you don't have any insecurity as a, as a, that you have as an artist. You're purely on the other side of it. And it's, there's something really, really nice about that. Nice. Well, yeah. When you said about writing with one direction then. Are they all in the room at the time or is it just two of them or what's the, what's the, the first time? No. So the first time they were making the first album and oh, this is a weird song journey. So I, I'd been asked to, by Disney to write for, write a song for, uh, Miley Cyrus. And so I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I, I, and I, I don't ask me how that came about. Just, <laughs> it was just a thing that was happening. Mad. So I was like, yeah, it was like, of course. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Would love to. There wasn't really any brief. They just said to write this song. So I was like, great. Okay. So I wrote this song and uh, did a little demo of it. Sent it off to them a month later. This is one side of why I don't really, I very rarely kind of get into the game of writing songs and just pitching them for artists because it's just, it's demoralizing and it never happens. So a couple of weeks later, Miley's not going to record it. You know, it's not, it's fallen through. But do I mind if Demi Lovato records it? <laughs> yeah. Like, of course. <laughs> I would love it. And they, and we had loads of phone calls about, you know, a couple of lyric changes and things. I was like, that's amazing. Of course, I would love that. A couple of weeks later. So it's not quite right for Demi's album. And, <laughs> no. you know, we're really Aww. sorry. Thanks, but we love the song. But would I mind if the Jonas Brothers record it? I was Fucking like, hell. of course, <laughs> I would love it if the Jonas Brothers record it. But like, so can you change the lyrics around to, to, to make it, you know, from, so it's okay for a, uh, from a male perspective? I was like, yeah, sure. Change the lyrics around, re sing the demo. I'd had my sister record it. I've got a sister who's this amazing singer and she'd recorded the demo for Demi and for Miley. So I recorded my vocal on it for the Jonas Brothers a couple of weeks later. Really? So it's not quite right for the Jonas Brothers album, but thanks anyway. Flash forward to, uh, One Direction, uh, making their album after X Actor. They'd all met us and said, um, Oh, we were like the first band that they'd seen live or for a couple of them, we were the first band they'd seen live. So when they were asked, Oh, who do you want to write for your album? Is there anyone you'd want to work with? They said us. 
somehow their A&R guy heard this song that I'd written for Miley, Debbie, the Jonas Brothers and heard my demo of it and were like, who's using that song? We really love that song. And I was like, no one. And I can, the, can One Direction record it? I was like, yes, of course, that'd be great. So they recorded it. They, so it was already written. It wasn't even written like with them or for them. It was just written and they did their vocals on it. And I went down and heard them sing on it and it was great. And that was it. So then when it came to write for the second album, they were just like, great, we want to do another song together. And they all came down to, to my house at the time. And they all came. It was actually, it was really interesting because they were filming by this point. They, you know, they were massive. And, and I thought, oh, we're having a songwriting session. It's at my house. They're coming. So I just thought it's going to be really casual and laid back. And like my wife, my wife made some like Rocky Road chocolate things and Aww. stuff. Didn't realize they were also arriving with their. 3D movie cam IMAX <laughs> camera team. <laughs> like, oh, wow. They were filming their documentary for this, like behind the scenes stuff. Cause there was like, you know, these vans of security and cameras and everything around. So yeah, it was a bit of a different writing session with that. Wow. Yeah. So for the second album then, when they said, Oh, yeah, you know, we'd like you to write for us, did you go, Oh, I've got to think of more Miley Cyrus ideas now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would Miley Cyrus reject? That's what I need to think of. <laughs> what? Oh, that, that's, what would Miley Cyrus reject? That's fucking brilliant. Oh, that's, that's a t-shirt design. The oh, list yeah, yeah. of names you just mentioned there and who we go past ah. to. I mean, like taking yourself out of there, that's, that's insane on a, on a level to think that, you know, that's, that, that's the process of these things that it gets. Oh, these yeah. People, it's crazy. Right? But also like, so yes, but, and it's really easy to get excited by those ideas and it is exciting, but no, you know, it could very easily have never ended up on that one direction album. And it would just be another one of the thousands of songs on our hard drives because everyone in the songwriting game, is going through this. I think what you normally find happens is more like what I was so lucky to have with Busted. You find a relationship that works and you're in it for a long time, which kind of happened then with One Direction. We got, we're really lucky. We really got on with, particularly with Niall. We got to then go and write on the next two or three albums because we had a good relationship with them. Hmm. But it, I mean, for every other song, actually, I remember talking to Rivers in that songwriting session. He was like, how did you get cuts on the One Direction album? And I was like, that was, that was my terrible uh, uh, American accent, by the way. I thought he was here for a second. I thought he was here. I was like, fucking hell, where rivers come up? But I was like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm fully aware that like every songwriter out there wants to get a cut on those albums. Like, you know, we weren't pitching for it. It was just, it happens by chance. And I think most of those relationships and most of the things that we've done like that have happened just through a natural relationship and friendship that we've had or some route that you never could have predi predicted rather than just sitting down and hope writing a song and pitching it for for someone well you um you mentioned the the busted thing there i mean obviously it's folklore that you were in the band for 24 hours then starting mcfly and the boys have, uh, have have talked about that but like how in-depth like songwriting between the two of you has there been like i know there's a there's been a lot of crossover and you and james in particular have worked on tracks that's worked on either one of the albums, but like, yeah, yeah. was that just a regular thing, especially in, in the early days? I mean, is the DNA of, of both of you over, over that? Yeah. So we were like, it was, well, before it was before Harry and Dougie were in the band and James, I was just really, me and James did, um, cause I, I actually, I knew Matt better. I went to school with Matt, so I didn't really know James that well. But James was the kind of the main songwriter in Busted at the time. And so they wanted to get us both together. Our management were like, you know, we think you guys could really connect. And so it was before McFly was even a thing. 
Actually, it might have even been before Danny. I'd met Danny. And me and James just clicked. And he, I was so new to song. I loved songwriting, but I was so new to it. And he already had this amazing understanding of writing pop melodies and hooks. And also we had a similar, uh, like we both loved bands and guitar bands, but he also grew up doing musical theater and also loved pop music. So we had this weird, like, oh, I grew up loving musical theater and I love pop music. And we both found ourselves writing songs like guitar band songs. Like we just naturally hit it off. And then he just kind of, I mean, really taught me everything I knew about songwriting, everything I know about songwriting. I was just kind of winging it and sitting in this room with a guy who was like amazing. He was just prolific. Everything that came out of his mouth was this amazing hook. And so he would call, I was at college at the time, at Stanmore College and hating life there. And he would call me up at like 10 at night and be like, hey man, we're just on the way back from, you know, whatever they were doing at the time, the shows they were doing in the, uh, the promo. He was like, do you want to come over? And I was like, yeah. So I'd go over to his and we would literally write until the sun came up to like six, seven in the morning. And I would then go home, get an hour's sleep and go to college and just be thinking, I wonder if James is going to call me tonight to write more songs. And, <laughs> and so any time he picked up, the, I dropped everything to go and write with him. And then we just stumbled upon these ideas that were, didn't really sound like, we were definitely writing for Busted. And then suddenly we wrote a few songs that were like, that doesn't really sound like Busted. This sounds like it's got this Beach Boysy kind of thing going on. I wonder if this is, and that's also another band that we both loved. So we were just like, oh, well, this could be a cool direction for whatever my band was going to become. So yeah, it was very like, I mean, it's a weird like incestuous relationship between our two bands because yeah, we were yeah. both of us, writing songs that would become for each other's albums and feeling like this amazing kind of ownership over them, but knowing that, Oh, I'm never going to get to, you know, to play air hostess and crash the wedding. And you're never going to get to play five colors in a hair. And we've got this amazing lyric book. That's like, it's got five colors in a hair air hostess, obviously crash the wedding, like all the, wow. all, like literally just like page after page. What? And we, cause we were writing like night after night, but just for, for both, both bands. Um, so yeah, in the early days, he was like our fifth member. And I felt like I was the fourth member of Busted, which was amazing for me because I was heartbroken when I wasn't in Busted. Like it, you know, really, it, it really focused me on why that I wanted to be in a band because I didn't really know if that's what I wanted to do with my life. I had lots of other things that I enjoyed doing and not getting in Busted made me realize, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Like I had it, I was in it for 24 hours or so. Then getting the call to say, really sorry, but we're going to move forward with just Charlie. I, it was like heartbreaking, but it made me realize, no, this is what I want to do. I want to be in a band and I'm going to make that happen. Yeah. When you ended, when you ended up doing the Muck Busted tour, were you then like, ha, 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 I'm back. Ha, I'm stronger than ever. Yeah, yeah. I was playing the really long game. Took, took what, it was 15 years, but I made it in the band. I'll get back in our band for a bit. (laughs) No, but it it was amazing though. For the first time being like, I'm looking at, I'm literally stood next to James singing those. I'm singing air is this now. And you're singing five colors there. Like this is amazing. Like it was super cool. That's what made it so special for us. It was, I mean, it's completely ridiculous, but it was, it was amazing. So special. Yeah. Well, I wanted to dive into that a little bit if we could, because I, I, we haven't really mentioned this with any of the others. And, 
obviously Muckbusted was such a huge success and there was really that big nostalgia vibe about it at all and it just seemed like you're having so much fun and obviously it's led Busted to getting back together properly and, and what they're doing now. But like, how do you look back at it on the, on the sense of the McFly sense of things? Because it was kind of in a weird time period about what was all going on behind the scenes for you guys. I'm sure that like you personally was really happy that you got to live that part of your life and always wondered you know, what would it have been like being in Busted and you could have, and you did that for, for a couple of tours, but with McFly as well, like, was it a weird a balance of like, you had this really fun thing, but also like behind the scenes, it was may- not maybe at the best of times. Yeah, but I, th- yeah, so definitely it was a very strange time for McFly. We just done our 10th anniversary. It all came about just before our 10th, like behind the scenes, we, uh, it was just before our 10th anniversary. So we're at this kind of weird period in our career where we're like, you know, what is, you're always, but like we're such an insecure band, I think always kind of feeling like, you know, what, how do you maintain this, this band? How do you protect it? And then also being like, Oh wow, we've been 10 years and we're growing up. We're starting families and getting married. I think I just got married and people are moving away for, from each other, like, you know, like physically away from it to different areas of the country. And that was all happening behind the scenes. And suddenly, and also like your popularity as a band fluctuates you know we were we were the kind of it band for a while at the, right at the start of our career and then there's only one way you go from there and it's down and then you find oh you have these little moments where you have oh this is really popular and it's got really good radio play and and lots of people know this one and and for 10 years we've been riding this wave of like this and you know that's a it's kind of a scary you know there's not having like a constant to know what your career is is a really scary place to live in suddenly mcbusted was like not just back to where we were before bigger than anything we'd had as mcfly and bigger than anything matt and james had had so suddenly feel like oh, like the first day i remember when they put on the, the arena tour it was 11 arenas and we were like that's you know that's a pretty big arena tour like we we'd just done the tours we were doing were like we'd balance out we might do like theaters plus bournemouth and wembley arena but, you know, I think that's what we'd just done the year before. So suddenly being like, oh, this is an 11 date fully arena tour. That's a big arena tour. I think by lunchtime on the day, those 11 shows sold out in like, you know, two seconds or something. And yeah, by lunchtime, yeah. we were at 33 arenas and had been offered to headline Hyde Park. <laughs> and, and the Backstreet Boys were supporting us. We were yeah. just like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? It was mad. Like... It was, it was just so exciting. You know, that obviously makes you incredibly happy. Just not because you think it's partly because it's what this is, this weird concept of our two bands has worked and is going to be successful, but just like being like, Oh, that's an overwhelming amount of love for our bands and our music. Like it's just, it was so exciting. And that I think kind of masked things, issues that were going on on the McFly side of things. So once the dust settled on that, especially after the first, because also we didn't really know it was going to even be that 33 day arena tour. We thought it was going to be 11 shows. So that suddenly being a whole year of touring, essentially, then became, well, maybe we should do an album. Well, okay, well, that's, we can do that. And we, then it means, well, then we'll tour that album. So then it's, before you know it, we're talking about three years of this new band. So yeah, definitely like 
we didn't address some serious issues in our own kind of friendship because of what McBusted was kind of helping. It was kind of sealing the cracks. I think, you know, it was, it was a mask of the cracks. Um, so when that naturally came to an end, you know, we knew, you know, Matt and, um, James wanted to go and do Busted again, which was really exciting. There was a moment of like, okay, this means we're going to have to sit down and figure out what is going on with McFly. It was, and it was really hard. And it was the start of this weird, we just kind of fell into this three year or four year hiatus where we literally didn't talk to each other for a couple of years. It was just so strange, so strange. But, you know, without McBusted, I don't know what would have, you know, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know how that, those, those three years with McBusted would have played out for us had we not done that. But it was so exciting to just kind of do shows on that scale. And, um, and also like seeing, getting a little glimpse of what it was like through Matt and James's eyes. Like they hadn't been doing any of that touring for 10 years, seeing their excitement to being back, you know, they've landed on stage in a DeLorean. <laughs> like it was just like, <laughs> this is amazing. And also we've been doing it for 10 years. You guys haven't done this for 10 years and look at what we're doing together now. Like it was incredible to see their enthusiasm and, uh, and their excitement. And that definitely rubbed off on us. Um, for the, for that period of time. Well, what was, um, what was the spark that reunited the, um, the McFly flame then? What, what was the thing that brought you all together after the three years of not talking? I think, um, to be honest, it was concern for each other's health and mental health. I think where you all met, I remember seeing Dougie and Harry, weirdly, we saw the match at Danny's solo gig. Danny was doing a solo record and we all went down there and, that was a weird experience. You know, we were watching Danny on stage play, obviously, you know, as part of his set, he was playing some McFly songs and we're like, we're up here watching. <laughs> yeah. That was just surreal. And then just looking at each other being like, man, this is so like, we're not, when, you know, we're not in a good place as friends. And like, so personally, some of us were just dealing with some real issues and just feeling like, oh man, we need to talk to each other. I hadn't seen Doug for like a year or just spoken to him for a year and then seeing each other and be like, oh man, you're, you know, you look how I feel <laughs> um, and feel like, uh, you know, are, are you okay? Like we need to, we need to figure out these issues. And a lot of it came from, I think we need to sit down in like a therapy session and talk where someone can help us talk to each other. And it was, yeah, it was this amazing moment. I mean, it happened really quickly after that. I went to therapy with Dougie and it was incredible. It was emotional and everything you imagine it to be. And, you know, this, we were both extremely honest and, you know, it was really hard, but we both came out and were like, I think like we should do that again, but we need to do this with all four of us. And so we arranged that. And then we literally, I think we came out of that first therapy session, like, like it was just amazing. We we're like, okay, let's go and do a show. We're ready to do it again. Like we're back. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing. Just break the man, just break down in communication. Like we're like so many people, we're just shit at it. It's like, we're, we're so much like a family, you know, we just are bad. We don't like confrontation. It's horrible. But when you don't have it, it's so much worse. And it leads to three years of not having this band. Like we're so lucky to have this band, not just because it means so much to us like that, it, because of the friendships between us, you know, and, and then outside of that, thinking there's, it's one in a million that you get to be in a band that calls being in a band, their job and their career. 
so many bands would kill for that. And we have that at like the top level and we're being idiots and not picking up the phone and talking to each other. That's the reason that it wasn't happening for three years because we just couldn't be brave enough to say, oh, you really upset me when you said that that time. Like, so if it takes for us to be a bit fragile with each other, we're like, yeah, we need to keep having these difficult conversations because McFly means something to us and it means something to a lot of people, a lot of fans. And when we get our shit together, it's the be- It's so much fun. It's the best thing in the world. Like, you know, it's nothing beats being in a band. It's incredible. And it's, um, yeah. And so coming back was, was amazing and scary because also we'd, we'd been away for a while. Busted had been back and doing loads of stuff as well after Met Busted. So we were like, shit, we've left it too long. No one's going to remember who we are. <laughs> but no, it, it's so good to see you all just like, probably the happiest you've been in a long time together and all this reaction for power to play is is incredible but um tom we don't want to take up too much of your time so as we start to wind down slowly here on the conversation i am going to hit you with all the nerdy stuff um as 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 much as i can by the way you probably know more than me yeah go on (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned um the, the delorean and all that i mean surely somewhere somehow you must have met someone from Back to the Future, like someone from Back to the Future, either the film or just like something to do with the franchise must be aware of McFly and that whole like thing. Like, is that ever being a, being a, a thing? Like, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely people who are aware of it. I remember once, um, I met, um, uh, John Landis, who he directed nice. like Blues Brothers and <laughs> Three Amigos. I know. We, we were on this table with him and me and Dougie and someone introduced, I and mean, he didn't know who we were, of, of, of course. And someone introduced him to us and though, and was like, Oh, he's, these two are in a band called McFly. And he was like, and he, he wasn't associated with Back to the future, but he was, he obviously uh, is in that world and knows, you know, a lot of those guys. And he was just like, McFly it was like after back to the future. We we're like, yeah, it's like, and you haven't been sued yet. Like, ah, shit. <laughs> shut up john shut up john don't tell yeah, anyone so it was the first time i was like oh yeah like what should are we gonna get in trouble but no i think someone i think bob gale knows about us now he did me a video message once actually so yeah he, he is aware of us which is really cool and oh and I, I got no actually i got to uh, i had a video call with spielberg i met spielberg <laughs> on like a Zoom. wait wait a second <laughs> <Whoa! laughs> oh the fuck do you get that far and then go oh yeah by the way yeah oh yeah that one ooh, the, the biggest director of all time <laughs> tom that yeah. is i had a i had a video call with him once and he um he thought it was cool that my band was called McFly. so i had and he produced bands of yeah and uh, yeah obviously that was a surreal moment Wow! Well, yeah. well, Jesus can you tell Christ. us what that was? What, what that was about? I mean, I gather you two just weren't chit chatting about coffee or whatever. Like there must have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was having. I was involved in a musical project, oh. um, and uh, I'd written the songs for it. And we, he, we were basically pitching the story. He was looking for a musical, and we were pitching it to him. And it was like the very first like time you get to. It was going to be a quick five minute thing. And it ended up being like, you know, half an hour long. And we were literally singing. It was even before Zoom and everything as well. So it was like really old video conference calls. And he was sitting with all of his agents and everyone in LA. And, um, but it was amazing. We had this like chat where like we talked, I said, you know, my band's called McFly and that's been, you know, it changed my life and all this, you know, I was being nerding out basically trying not to nerd <laughs> out too much. 
Yeah, and then we pitched it to him and he like he loved it so much. Like, you know, you can just tell from someone's reaction. Anyway, but the the pitch actually went really badly and we thought, oh man, oh. We, we we like we thought I, like he enjoyed it, but we just did it bad. Like, you know, when you feel like, oh man, we didn't do this bit, and you didn't say that bit, and I sang that bit really rubbish. And anyway, we got off the call and like 10 minutes later, we got a call from his agent and be like, he loves it. He wants to fly you guys to New York to meet him in person. And he wants to start talking about this deal. And it turned out said so like the people I was involved in the musical with all went out and I had to stay here to shoot the McFly music video uh, and couldn't go to New York to meet him in person. So the whole team it was like five of us. They all went out to like spend the whole day at his studio with him, hanging out with him. They've got these pictures of him in Spielberg. I had to stay here and shoot a music video a song that we never play anymore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. What song yeah. was it? Uh, for Party Girl. Oh. You, ever, you know the McFly song? Yeah, the song we never... We don't even speak about that song anymore. <laughs> I don't like play it. <laughs> I had to stay and shoot the music video for Party Girl and not meet Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I would have sent a mannequin. Yeah, you could have met the inventor of dinosaurs, Stephen Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Oh, yeah. Wow. But he at least hasn't sued me for McFly, so that's fine. Yeah, that's not giving him any ideas, and I know he listens every week. <laughs> so, Steve, leave that's him be. Plus. Leave him that's be, a Steve. Plus. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's two lyrics in particular I've always wanted to get your kind of thoughts about from McFly. Um, one yeah. of them being Galaxy Defenders, Stay Forever, because that has turned in such a, like, Almost the name of it, the, the fan group in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, a, a lot of people consider themselves Galaxy Defenders now. Yeah. Um, that must be insane to see happen for Circle. But the other one I wanted to talk to you about is when you ever play The Heart Never Lies live and you change that lyric to, it's not always easy, but McFly's here forever. And that creates such an emotional moment in that live performance do you remember the first time you, you did it? And, and, and I mean, that reaction must never get old. Yeah, it was. And it was literally, I remember, I do remember the first time we did it. It was, we were playing this uh, like summer show thing, you know, when you, they play like these summer part in the park type things and we were headlining it and it was like, it's outdoor. I think it was in like a stadium, but turned, you know, sometimes you play the stadiums, but turn the other way, which is kind of a weird, like basically, but anyway, we're at that kind of um, gig. And it was in the daytime, but loads of 
I think maybe it was like the last one of the summer. So there was loads of our like, you know, most hardcore dedicated fans there. And as I was singing that bit, it just kind of popped into my, it just popped into my head that it would fit as I was approaching. I mean, I don't know what my face was doing when I was thinking of it. I was trying to sing at the time. But I just sang it and instantly was like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed with emotion. And like that, I sang it and didn't realize how, like what it would mean to me. Because also one, The Heart Never Lies sounds like a love song, but I wrote that song about the band. So it was about, it literally is about like another year over and we're still we're still together it all the lyrics are about the band so it felt quite natural for me to kind of my head to go make that connection and go there but i guess it got such an amazing reaction from the fans that i was like i can't sing the next bit of the lyric because it's so emotional and then it just became like the thing that i sing every i sing every time now i think um, I think I've forgotten it a couple of times and, uh, and <laughs> yeah, d- it hasn't gone down well if I don't sing it now. Oh yeah. Oh, um, for sure. But also like, yeah, singing it even now, like we, when we came back, we played one after that hiatus, we played one show at the O2 and finished with the heart never lies and singing it in that context, being like, man, another year over and we're still together, you know, having done three years of not being together and now we're here playing the O2 and I'm singing McFly's here forever. It's like, wow, that just is overwhelming. Like I'm such, I cry at everything, but it's so hard singing and crying. <laughs> and that gets me every time. It means like, it genuinely means something to me every time. And um, yes, that's a special one, that one. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, and I was there at that show and I cried as well. So no, there we are. Cheers. There we are. Thank you very much. Well, I, I hope people know that it does. It, it, I, it gets me equally as emotional. Like I don't take that for granted. Like I, I really feel that one. So yeah, that, that means a lot. I also liked how you, um, yeah, you were talking, you were describing playing stadiums to me and Morgan, like we've done loads of that. You're like, oh, you know, you know when they turn them side, you know when they turn a stadium sideways to put your back there. Yeah, but it's, no, this is, no, this is Tom, when they turn no, it. No, I don't, I don't, Tom. Jeez, yeah, unbelievable. And also, this podcast is the first time I've ever heard anybody say the sentence and I wrote it down. And then the Backstreet Boys were supporting us. <laughs> That's never <laughs> happened on you. What I a sentence. You know, I, but just to make make everyone aware, I when I say those things, I'm fully aware that it sounds absolutely crazy. Like it's it blows my like it blows my mind that that happened. Like I'm I'm more surprised than anyone that this shit happens to me. Like <laughs> I, I you know, it's yeah. <laughs> I don't take it for granted. <laughs> these aren't just like everyday occurrences like i'm fully aware like that it's amazing well i want to hit you with two last things before we get into trouble for being way way overdue um <laughs> harry hello hello chaps problem is with tom if i don't step in and uh can you hear him if i don't step in and tell him it's time to go he will drone on for hours and we have we got some two more que- we got, got two, two more, more questions. questions. There you go. Two, <laughs> two more questions. What am I doing now? It doesn't help. That doesn't help. <laughs> two more. Two more. Ha. In that case, very quickly, people would be very upset with me if I didn't bring up the wedding speech because that uh, I was about to say that. You ruined weddings for grooms around the world <laughs> my girlfriend saw that and she was like you never do anything like that and i was like how do you know you don't even, we don't even but again uh, like this is this is me i'm so i hate public speaking i'm i'm you know a bit of a recluse i don't like being i'm not very good in social environments 
so the idea of doing a speech was just terrifying. And I'd written like these normal standard, you know, speeches, and I couldn't even say them out loud to myself in my hotel room. We were on tour at the time. And then I was just like, but I go on stage every night and sing. Like, I maybe I should just sing the speech. And then I was starting to write like an original song. And I was like, well, I don't have time to write an original song. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. I'll just rewrite. I'll, I'll make it even easier. I'll just rewrite songs I've already written and just put, the, put them in. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, didn't expect it to do what it did. And I, I didn't put it online until like a year after the wedding as well. So we'd been married for like a year. And I was like, I don't, I'm going to share that speech. Um, but you know what? Thank God I did do that because it saved the day from the horrendous best man speech that my bandmates did for me, which was oh. unbelievably offensive. Oh, oh, yeah, wow. To everyone involved. I mean, it was so bad, but it was just like, it just, yeah, it was the first time they'd, uh, they'd been best men at um, someone's wedding. So they got a bit carried away. Right. Yeah, the roast of Tom Fletcher started. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. Ooh, oh, yikes. God. Yikes. Well, we won't ask about that because there's probably stuff in there that would get in trouble. But um, just one question to leave on. I've asked this as the last one for a couple of the other guys as well. I'd love you to give me two songs. Um, one that you feel is a really underappreciated or underrated McFly song, maybe something you thought should have been a single, something that just didn't get the attention it deserves, and also a song from Power to Play that you're really excited for people to hear and um, really sums up the new record for you. Oh, that's really tough. Both of those <laughs> are really tough questions. Um, okay, so a song that I feel... This is really hard, isn't it? Okay, I'll give you a song. That I, okay, uh, maybe I'll adapt it a little bit. A song that I love of McFly that most people would never, wouldn't know. It's one that I sing as well, so maybe it's quite selfish of me, quite self-indulgent. I love a song called um, I'll Be Your Man, which is on probably the, the McFly hardcore fan base's least favorite album. But I love that song. It's so nice to play and sing live. And... Um, and we hardly ever play it live and because and it was it was never even on the cards to be a single but i just feel like that's a really really cool song i love it and let me think is there one that's oh i do not else i love playing or i think is kind of one that got overlooked maybe the last song on radioactive is called the last song on radioactive mm. i think there was talk of that being a single for us at one point and then we just realized that it was, it was that was a bad idea but i love that song um, okay, so yeah, there's two there that I guess uh, that I think are maybe under over, overlooked McFly songs. Uh, okay, and then from Power to Play, where I love, there's a song called Land of the Bees, which is um, it's like prog prog pop. I'm going to call it. <laughs> it's like it's like McFly meets Rush. It's completely bonkers. It's the first time. Yeah, it's the first time we played in any other uh, time signature other than four four. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, time time signature changes, and also it came from this like it's this mad song, and the the lyric is called "Land of the Bees." That was like Danny's dummy lyric because he was pretending to be in Iron Maiden, going like "The Land of the Bees," and then we just couldn't <laughs> unhear it. So yeah. we're like, okay, it's called "Land of the Bees" now. Then great, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, well, perfect combination from Stephen Patel and Jason Perry and everyone involved. But Tom, honest to God, thank you so much for taking the time, being so open and honest, and and just doing. Oh, this. I got this one is... last question. I got oh, one last question. Oh, oh. Tom, what software do you use to write the book? <laughs> 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 A typewriter. 
Right. Like, Correct. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. Totally. Good answer. <laughs> but I want to see it. This one has meant a lot to me personally, and I know there's a lot of people listening who will be very excited to play it. So, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I'm so happy about this new record. Oh, no worries. It's, it's been a great chat. I've loved it. I'm, thank you so much. Have you heard any of that? We'll have to get a record in one of the um, albums over to you so you can hear it. But um, thank you. No, it's been a great chat. I've loved it. I love chatting about music and all the like the stories that no one knows about. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Genuinely, thank you for the music. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for being a shining light of positivity. And um, yeah, good luck with this. I'm sure you're not going to need it. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. See you later on. Yes! That was the mighty, the legendary, the absolutely lovely Tom Fletcher of McFly. I can't believe we have completed it. We've got all McFly. It's done. McFly completed it, mate. Yeah, I can't believe this is the last ever episode of Sapping Podcast. <laughs> We've done it now. Fuck this. Fuck every done other it. guest. Like, uh, that's all I wanted was to speak to Is McFly. there another podcast <laughs> in the world that's had all four members of, of McFly on individually? Well, not even that. If you think about it, we've had all members of McFly. We've had all members of Busted. We've that's had true. McFly's producer, Jason Perry. Yeah. We've had co-writer, co-writer. Steve Mattel. We've lost alone a couple of times. Like, you know, I mean, we must be the ultimate McFly-busted, McBusted podcast. When, when we started this, <laughs> I can guarantee you that I never thought those sentences would be said. But you know what? Do you know what? I'm happy they have been said. Yeah. Because I love those boys. Top chaps. Absolute legends. They've written some fucking bangers. And they just so happen to be lovely, lovely people when they could have been absolute fucking knobheads. <laughs> it's easily done. It's easily done. But it's so nice to just get those insights into like the, the what makes them smile, what makes them tick, these mad moments they've all got to experience differently and just the little nuances of, of their influences and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of stuff Tom talked about there that people are going to be uh, uh, gushing over and um, they're going to be McFly touring uh, across the UK in October and November. Go to their website for tickets, uh, details on the tickets and what city they're playing multiple shows in certain places and all that and Lost Alone are going to be supporting them. So nice. it's a big Saturday podcast friends fest. So if we're not invited to these shows, I'm going to be very, very upset. Oh, people. Yeah. People will suffer if we're not invited <laughs> to these shows. On that same uh, tone though, I do want to give a massive shout out. Well, to everyone on the McFly team for helping these four episodes to happen, but especially Charlotte, Lauren, Steph, Michelle, uh, a special shout out as well to James Hill and Kyle Deke, who are on McFly's uh, touring crew. Um, just, yeah, this is just being an awesome experience for the both of us, uh, especially the fangirl inside of me. So I'm happy we could uh, get all this done. Well, I think, yeah, people are going to be surprised. Listening to that now, you've just thanked six people, right, who were involved <laughs> yeah. in making this happen, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people listen to this go, surely it's just one email to Tom, isn't it? And it's like, no, man, <laughs> it does not work like that. <laughs> Small bands on um, smaller labels, it's a little bit easier to work out. But yeah, with these massive fucking bands with the million pound teams behind them, it's fucking mad. But yes, thank you very much to all those people. Big shout out to Kyle Deke, 
who I saw at 2003's festival playing bass for the mighty Def Havana. Yeah, and it's also crazy how it all crosses over into other all things All interconnected. Well. Yeah. It's mad, isn't it? Small, too small a world. I was lucky enough to go to McFly's album uh, launch thing in their studio in London like last month, and they're showing us around the studio and stuff, and all of a sudden, I hear someone go, Mug! 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 Like I was like, well, looking around, Kyle Deke just setting stuff up on, on guitars and whatnot. <laughs> it's like, nice. Out. Of all the places in all the world. But no, it's, a, it's, inc- it's incredible. Um, speaking of people going on tour and things happening yes. in the future. Uh, no. you You're doing a lot of that next year. Yes, February 19th, Glasgow. 20th, Manchester. 22nd, Cardiff. 23rd, Birmingham. 24th, London. Get your tickets today listen now don't know if i'm allowed to say this yet but i'm going to um i'm recording this uh wednesday much before friday there's less than 100 <laughs> tickets there for cardiff i don't know if i've meant to have said that but i have said it now so if you're thinking about coming to cardiff get them asap if not please for the love of god come to birmingham because that room is fucking massive <laughs> check out the blackoutband.com for tickets merchandise and any information see how we're looking lately because that is the latest promo vote of us is the, the editor check out the blackoutband.com please get your tickets as soon as you can because that will save me worrying for six more months hey it would be nice if you didn't have that extra stress to be fair oh. Please, please. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, this thing is our fault. We said yes. Yeah, we said yes to fucking ridiculous venues thinking, ah, oh, this promoter's not trying to get us killed. And um, now we're like, ah, oh, maybe he is. Maybe he is. So, um, yes, it's going to be fucking great. Check it out. End of February 2024, the blackout on tour again. Five dates in the UK. The only ones, if we're not playing on your fucking doorstep. Do me a favour, we're not playing on my fucking doorstep either, <laughs> so travel to a fucking show. Hey! The closest one to me is an hour away, right? Yeah, it is, yeah, to be fair, yeah, it is, yeah. And then I've got people online complaining that they're an hour away from Birmingham going, oh, I, this is too far away. Oh, and I'm like, impossible. oh, okay then. It's two, <laughs> it's two and a half hours from my house, my Birmingham. <laughs> come along, you can't. Anyway, I won't get into this now. Please come and see us. Please, 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 please. I need to keep everybody on side. Please come and see us. If you're complaining about how far away we're playing from you, you are bang right. I'm very sorry. But still, please buy a ticket and come and see us. Hey, if you're like, oh, do you what? I don't have any friends who like this kind of music. I don't have any friends who like uh mcfly or just you just need more friends in general if your friends aren't good enough get better friends at patreon.com forward slash sassman everyone in this community are absolutely the top humans we can ever recommend to you they're all meeting up with each other at festivals at gigs the planning stuff weighing events so if you want to meet some new best friends get some insights even more into the podcast and some extra bonuses you can only access via the patreon as patreon.com forward slash sapnin the lowest tier starts from three dollars and it would help us so 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 much if you head to the description of this episode there's loads of names there that we do thank but as always sean's going to give a mahoosive shout out to the elite members of our sapnin podcast patreon community i wonder how many people listen to this podcast think that you don't know how to say the word massive Oh, yeah, it's been a running joke for almost like four and a half years now, isn't it? Just me just going mahoosive. 
I yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard you say. Oh no, no, I remember that time I came out of the shower when we were in a room and you were like, "That's fuck." <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Leeway, Janelle Cast, and Paul Hirschfield, Kelly Ewan, Scarlett Charlton, Tony Michael, Dilly Grimwood, Nathan Croshaw, Mitch Perry, Natasha Morris, Emma Barber, Kat Besant, Molly Malloy, and James Bowerbank, Jenny Robinson, Murray Grimwood, Scott Successful, Burger Delivery, Jones, Amy Dawson, Amy Louise, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robinson. Kate Patek, Martina McManus, Louis Cook, Carl Pendlebury, Danny Eaton, James McNaught, Jenny Munster, John and Emma, Jason Aredia, M. Evans-Roberts, Craig Harris, Evan, Sean Foynes, Emily Perry, King of the Goths, Adam Parslow, Kalila Keane, Ollie Amesbury, Josh, what do you call a Spanish man who's had his car being stolen? Carlos Chris. Oh, I'm glad he got a new, somebody wow. bought him a new joke book in a page. Thank you very much, Alice Wood, Vicky. Joe Janaway, Connor Lewins, last by no means least, Kyle David Smith. Thank you very much to all of those people and everybody in the description. You genuinely make this possible. If you listen to this and you've never checked out our Patreon before, thank you very much. That's very, very cool that you're doing this. But also, check out patreon.com for slash happening, please. Please, 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 please. Because this, those people make this free for everybody else each and every literally so you should thank them and there's loads of extras on there like playlists other podcasts some blog posts some photos behind the scenes stuff get involved patreon.com for slash happening this is being a dream episode thank you again to everyone for checking this out uh subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts and we'll be back each friday and every week with another special guest and things to blow your mind yes we will and on that fucking sapnin <laughs> Get at me, Tom, if you need any vocals for any records, but <laughs> Oh god. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much. <laughs>